This is Erica in Edmonton. Shannon in Durham. And Chip in Durham. Welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 95, Strange Relations. Doesn't that sound like a bad sitcom title? <laughs> it does. Uh, yep, here we, here we go. More titles as we journey through the final season of Babylon 5. Uh, speaking of which, it, it kind of feels like the season is, is, is finally getting, getting going now, don't you think? A little bit, yeah. Um, the, the status quo that was established for season 5 is now being messed with. And also, we're starting to get some glimmers of some changes in status quo for some of our characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of Stephen's uh, control group observations was was that uh, it, it finally feels like they're kicking off the season a little bit. He he he's like, I feels it feels like after the the previous two episodes just didn't need to be there, and now they're finally getting going. It's just like okay, <laughs> harsh but fair, I guess. Yeah, uh, and you know that that's true. They're um, focusing on you know they they established the presence of the telepaths early on, and they've sort of been you know in the background here and there. And we've got a episode now that focuses uh, on them again. So I think that's part mm-hmm. of it. Um, I I do like the strange relations title because I mean you know that talks about you know uh, Byron's relationship with uh, with Vester and the Psychor, Vester's relationship with Lockley. Lockley's relationship with Sheridan, I mean, just, you know, it, it, it fits. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Uh, and don't forget yeah. uh, Lockley's relationship with Garibaldi. Hmm. True. Such True. as it is. <laughs> that, that, one's, that one didn't strike me as strange so much as, um, well, I don't know what the word would Coming be. Coming to a head. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <Can> <laughs> I, couldn't, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say one word for that. Can, can I just immediately leap to the end of the episode? Like sure, Lockley, sure. I had forgotten that Garibaldi was still in the brig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was a good moment i'm not gonna lie i i had i had forgotten about it as well though i meant i remembered a moment before she did i think as was uh as was intended by the script right, so right. that was nice i i will admit um for a brief moment there um for for once lockley sort of reminded me of ivanova that 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 seemed like a some something of an ivanova thing to do to forget oh my gosh i did something <laughs> and i've got to let that person out <laughs> Um, well, well, I don't think hang- it would have been Garibaldi. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, if, if Claudia Christian had stayed, I think the you know episode would have you know, worked differently in some way. But for for that moment, that that felt Lockley felt very Ivanova. <laughs> well, if when you hang around Babylon Five long enough, the place starts to rub off on you, as she said, as she said mm-hmm. in dialogue. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Well, let's let's get into this. If uh, if you're just dipping back in after a long while, here's here's what you need to know coming into this one. Uh, the Interstellar Alliance is very new. Though many races are members, they don't all play together well all the time. The Centauri and the Narn especially. The Alliance's new president, John Sheridan, previous captain of Babylon 5, has done a few things since taking this office. He agreed to let a group of telepaths, led by a man named Byron, live on the station. And he assigned Earth Force Captain Elizabeth Lockley as the new captain of the station. Now, Michael Garibaldi, who previously turned against Sheridan after having his mind altered by scary psychop Bester, uh, he hasn't trusted Lockley since she arrived on the station. 
And that brings us to strange relations. Speaking of Mr. Bester, he's back. The telepaths staying on Babylon 5 are wanted by EarthGov, and legally, Bester has the right to take them. So Sheridan orders Lockley to find a way to ensure Bester does not get the telepaths, and she succeeds with a little inadvertent help from Dr. Franklin. This pleases Lita, the station's telepath, as she has really come to believe in Byron and his cause. Meanwhile, Delenn suggests that Londo needs a bodyguard and manages to convince Jakar he's just the Narn for the job. So yeah, Bester. Stephen was pretty excited to see Bester again. He cheered a little mm. bit. How did you yeah. guys feel? Wait, 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 wait. He cheered the villain? <laughs> he it's cheered a good villain. The, he cheered the very charismatic uh, villain. He he was he's pleased. He likes the he kind of likes the fact that Bester's not there all the time, but he comes back enough. Uh, I think I think as Stephen actually said at one point on on the podcast when he was guesting, one of the few things that he knew about Babylon Five going in is that uh, that that he didn't really know who Bester was as a character, but he knew that Walter Koenig was on Babylon 5 in some way, shape, or form. I think he he assumed that, that was he was just a main character. So not seeing him all the way through most of the first season and very rarely, has, he, he, he enjoys how much of a punch it packs when, uh, when Bester does appear. Yeah. So, I was excited. I seem to recall reading, and it may have been re- it may have been relayed by JMS, so there's there there may be a little bias there. But for a while there at conventions Walter Koenig would have these moments like when he'd occasionally come into a a panel or an interview situation flanked by uh, cosplaying uh, Psycops and things like that. (laughs) Walter Koenig is forever going to be known by popular culture as Ensign Chekhov. But I have a suspicion that this was the far more satisfying role for him. Even as just a recurring thing. It's just more to do. I yeah. would not be surprised. He yeah. certainly looks like he's having fun every time. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and this time too, you know, the way that he's sort of casually exchanging pleasantries uh with uh <laughs> Captain Lockley in her office, you know, it, he's he Koenig gets to gets to give Bester layers. He's not just a mustra- mustache twirling heavy, and uh, that's it's just it's just loads of fun. He tells a joke. I love that joke about Rene Descartes. That is one of my favorite moments in all of Babylon Five. <laughs> I told Stephen that, and he rolled his eyes at me. But it's true. I mean, a it's a good joke. I think that's very funny. Philosophy jokes are hilarious. Uh, and then B, the fact that you're right. It, this is a relaxed scene between two colleagues who are just just sitting down to to chat in a, in a professional atmosphere. But you know, you got to have the the, the chit chat to sort of grease the wheels and stuff. And and it is so. It just does not match up with what we what we think we know about this character and the way that he has interacted with with you know the previous captains and people who have been in charge before. It I think it's a, a brilliant moment in uh, in sort of putting us on the back foot in terms of his characterization and Lockley because at that moment mm-hmm. you know we are looking at it through the eyes of Michael Garibaldi who's not very happy to see it that way. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's such a contrast, from, like you said, from uh, how things have been before. Um, and it makes, you know, Garibaldi charging in feel, you know, just that much more like he's totally stuck his foot in it, even even though we as the audience know Garibaldi, know the backstory and we know why Garibaldi is after him and that he's got a damn good reason to do so. But to, you know, charge in figurative guns blazing um, mm-hmm. into, you know, what is what is essentially a tea party. Um, you know, it's jarring. Um, and then, and, and, and it gets literally jarring when she slugs him in the jaw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with, uh, I I agree with you that, uh, every other human character on this show has reason to loathe Bester and that Lockley not not only is exchanging pleasantries with him in the scene, but later on when she's uh, talking about the uh, about the guy, um, she says, "No, I don't trust him, but he's part of the you know he's part of the chain of command. He's part of EarthGov, and he's done good work with me in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, when he took out rogue telepaths that were uh, preying on her people, so." She is acting perfectly reasonably, which makes the position that Sheridan puts her in all the more uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will say I did get a twinge of JMS. I I sort of saw the writer's hand covering his bases there a touch. Um, Where We've talked about in the past how JMS is very careful to make sure that his good guys are, you know, completely good and his bad guys are completely bad. Uh, and that struck me slightly as, you know, making sure that the audience knew Lockley had a good reason for being civil and pleasant with Bester. Mm-hmm. And and of course, Bester is is there for a reason. He's he's there for the telepaths who are. Um, <laughs> this is another Stephen reaction moment that I just laughed at because we we go in and we see how they are doing. We see their their digs, and Stephen is just like beaded curtains, candles, and drapes on the wall, they are so shooting a Queensryche video in that den. <laughs> <It's> just... <sighs> For me, yes. I was thinking 60s counterculture. <laughs> that... I think that was probably more what they were going for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think... If I recall, if I recall when I was watching this for the first time, I was actually a little slow on the uptake. Telepath colony seeking refuge on Babylon 5. This episode, I'm like, oh yeah, Bester would get involved, wouldn't it? There would be a reason for Bester to show up, wouldn't there? And so, you know, that's chick- that's checking the box right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and he makes he makes a really good and interesting point in that, um, or I guess technically Lockley does when she's talking to Sheridan about it, in that, yes, you gave them a place to live that is within your purview as the president of the alliance, but you, you didn't pardon them. Like, he couldn't mm-hmm. have pardoned them. That's not something that he has control over. They are very, very careful when they were starting the alliance to give control of, you know, right. each 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 member planet still has you know sort of autonomy so earth gets to deal with their people however they want these people are wanted by the legal government of earth therefore bester has the the right to come in and do it and that puts lockley you're right in a terrible position trying to figure something out yeah mm-hmm. sheridan was treating babylon 5 like it it was 
and it and it is technically still seceded from earth it's not Mm -hmm. literally earth territory anymore Mm-hmm. But Earth is a signatory. They've got a treaty relationship, you know. He's mm-hmm. not he's not on his own anymore. And I think this is a moment where his new position really caught up with him. He's complaining Sheridan's right. complaining about um, you know, damned damned one way or the other. Um and he recognizes that he put himself into a pickle and then he tells Lockley Fix it. To, to fix it for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because he's un- because he's unwilling to compromise. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and to her credit, she she manages to at, at least buy some time. Uh, I right. appreciated getting to see Dr. Franklin for a little bit. He doesn't have a great, like, huge role here. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he pops in in the course of being asked to, you know, do you want this new job with the with the alliance, which I think is very fitting for him. So very mm-hmm. cool. And I and that's that's something that that happens a decent amount on this show, and that I like is that something that one character who not necessarily related to that plot line somebody somebody will say something and it gives gives somebody an idea, and and that's yeah. not a you know that's not a specific to Babylon Five type of a trope, but it's something that I like because it shows you know sort of how the neurons are firing and you're just that's how brains work for at least mm-hmm. for humans anyway, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like that too. Um, you know, not only that it ties back into Franklin's own experiences, uh, mm-hmm. you know, investigating um, alien biologies uh, before and during his time on Babylon Five, um, but as you said, giving giving Lockley a a genuine reason in writing, as she points out, you know, in writing so that she can tell Bester the truth. You know, if she she's telling a telepath to his face, you know, this is how it is without telling him, um, I'm pulling, you know, I'm pulling a fast one here. Uh, so that I thought that was, you know, especially important for her to have, you know, the backup in writing as well as the ability to be able to say with 100% truth, this is what Dr. Franklin said. Yeah, she is by the book, she is being true to herself as a character, which means which means that JMS is not pulling a fast one with the character. Uh, this is the first episode with Lockley where I don't feel like they're spinning their wheels anymore on trying to integrate the character into the story. There was so much work that they had to do to establish her and identify her because of the unexpected departure of Claudia Christian. Uh, so much time that JMS has said in interviews that he wished could have been spent on moving the story along. But what Lockley does in this episode makes total sense for her as we've gotten to know her. With the possible exception of maybe the marriage? <laughs> that was... That was the one moment, and I would I I would happily like to take a detour into that before we we jump back and and talk about Lita with the telepaths. Um, yes. the, I liked Lockley throughout the 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 whole sort of telepath story. Her trying to figure out a way to deal with it. Her dealing with Garibaldi. Her dealing with Bester. I really enjoyed that, and I completely agree with you, Chip. That that this this felt like. Like she was acting as as she herself is as a character as opposed to trying to show us who she is as a character. But the one moment that I didn't like was actually right off the bat at the beginning when Delenn comes up to her and lets her know that she is now in the know and she knows that uh, that Lockley and Sheridan were previously married. And 
she makes it about herself. The very first thing she does is says, oh, I wish he would have given me a heads up before he told you. And I was just Mm. like jaw on the floor. I could not believe that that was her reaction. And and I don't know if that is just tone deafness on the the point of the the writer and not realizing how that's going to come across to somebody who has uh, who's on the other side of it or if it's on purpose to make her look really callous and self-serving i'm very curious to see if that jumped out at you guys as it did to me it did a bit to me but i i kind of linked it back to um the previous episode where delenn took her turn in sort of stomping all over lockley's authority uh with the um with the rangers so i was sort of linking back to um you know lockley feeling like you know yet again um sort of defensive uh, in front of Delenn. And I think because of that defensiveness, she, you know, said something that she shouldn't have, uh, granted. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that was more of a reaction of this is the second time that Delenn is, you know, coming at me, although she's not coming at uh, Lockley the way she did before. I sort of wrote it off as a writer's oversight and just moved on. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, it may have stood out to me more just because I just... It per- yeah, personally, that effect yeah. that affected me a lot, but uh, probably not everybody's going to read it quite that way. But yeah, mm-hmm. so so what do you guys what do you guys think about that? How do you feel about that as as the reveal? The it, JMS has had to juggle things a number of times in in this in the run of this show in the, the in the last four years in this half year that we've seen so far with you know actors leaving or the circumstances changing. Uh, not knowing he's getting a fifth season and then getting it. And of all of that, I think this is the one place that, um, that it, that, that his shift really feels shoehorned in. Um, it, you know, even if it's only like a three month thing that got annulled real fast, uh, this feels like that something somehow or other, we should have known that Sheridan had a third wife at some point in the show. You know, whether it was, you know, talking about his past with Anna to his sister, whether it was um, the uh, background in the TV shows, you know, talking about um, in, in the in the news shows, talking about his background. Uh, some, yeah, th- th- this this is the one time that a JMS adjustment felt like super out of left field. Yeah, I it it's not quite as painful for me. Um, because, and here I'm speaking directly to the folks like Stephen who only listen to the pre-spoiler sections of our podcast, but in spoiler space, we've been identifying all season the moments that have sort of signaled that uh, this turn. Um, even in the, even in the very first episode, uh, there, no compromises, there's body language and hints that indicate that Sheridan and Lockley have a past. Um, and, uh, and in the previous episode, uh, Sheridan's delicious expression when, um, <laughs> when Delin asks the question that he can't escape from. Um, so I think in this season, it's structured pretty well. And in this mm-hmm. episode, I have to say, it's sort of like uh, maybe JMS is trying to have his cake and eat it, too. But when Lockley tells Garibaldi and Garibaldi starts to laugh and says, how many wives does this guy have anyway? 
mm-hmm. you know, he's he's trying to he, he's sort of making fun of it a little bit, even though he's trying to make it work and he's trying mm-hmm. to be serious about it. Doesn't quite pull it off, but I I do appreciate the attempt. Yeah, and if he had to do it, I mean, it, it's there is a bit of symbolic elegance to it, uh, to the idea that Sheridan, you know, who is a, you know, now married to a Mimbari, and threes are a big thing with the Mimbari. Sheridan has now on his third <laughs> wife, and the the hang on, hang on, I'm not, I'm not done, I'm not done. The first one was a warrior, the second one was a worker, and now there's a religious. <laughs> oh my, oh my God! God. <laughs> you so, just blown my mind if he had to do it i mean you know end result you know he pulled off a pretty good job i just you know like i said that this is the one that feels stuck in the most to me wow i i <laughs> applaud i absolutely applaud you because i i feel so much better about it now honestly <laughs> because before you had said all that i was gonna say that i you know what, I, I do feel for jms for for needing to establish a character and needing to establish a reason to trust this right. character. Right. The thing that I sort of take issue with is the idea that just because Sheridan was married to somebody for three months, that that means that we should trust them. I I don't think that that's. I mean, I know lots that's of true. people who have been married for longer than three months that uh, that then ceased to be married and no longer trust each other one little bit. So um, yeah. So just that idea, I feel like he could have. He could have gotten that across by having Lockley be somebody that he had served with previously for, mm-hmm. you know, five years or something without having to, like you said, Shannon, sort of shoehorn in the the idea that he'd been married and that we hadn't somewhere found it out. But I, on the other yeah. hand, also agree with you, Chip, that that at least in terms of this season, they telegraphed it very, very well. If, uh, right. if, if you get the opportunity to go back and rewatch those episodes, if you've only seen them the one time... I, I recommend watching their body language and, and it, it is mm-hmm. it is a delight. I think it's it's very well done. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you about the, the marriage thing. Uh, you know, on the one hand, marriage is not a guarantee of trust. And on the other hand, mm-hmm. marriage isn't the like you said, marriage isn't the only relationship that can produce that trust. You know, yeah. that you know, it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be a former wife. It can, you know, as you said, you know, former colleagues or, you know, earlier on growing up um, in the I mean, academy. Hell, look made... at the bond between uh, Garibaldi and Sinclair. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. But so. now that now that though that you point out the thing about the threes and the the warrior worker <laughs> and religious, I'm like, okay, there's no other way to do it. This is perfect. I'm, uh, I'm now I'm now okay with it. Okay, yep. maybe right. Sheridan's got a reincarnated reincarnated Minbari soul. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. Maybe he does. <laughs> oh, that is great. Okay, so so let's now that we've we've taken that little detour and um, I, I have had my mind blown. Let's let's go back to speaking about minds. Let's go back to the let's go back to the telepaths and and I want to talk about about Lita, who at, we have seen throughout the course of this season, sort of being uh, interested in, intrigued by, and then you know sort of being drawn closer to Byron and his telepaths. And by the end of this episode, I mean she's. She's kumbayaing along along with them, basically. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how do you feel about about Lita's uh, her path thus far? Plausible. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, this particular episode. I mean, she is you know all about defending uh, the telepath colony from Bester. She tries her best to help them find hiding places. She you know puts herself 
physically in the way of the bloodhounds and reveals, you know, a bit more to Bester about some of the stuff she can do thanks to the Vorlons. Um, so, you know, she's already committed to their side um, during the course of this episode, uh, if not before. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, it's interesting that she is stealing medical supplies from Franklin. <laughs> Who would have given them to her if she'd asked? <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, there. This is this is a woman who has been increasingly yeah. Yeah. used mm-hmm. by yeah. Sheridan and by the Alliance. At the same, and and now she's basically having her consciousness raised by the telepaths, especially Byron. Uh, we can we can infer that between that's been happening between the last episode and this one. Uh, so, you know, the, the trust between her and the mundanes just isn't there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I like that Franklin reminds her the next time you need something, just ask. But, um, you know, it's, she's, she's in a very interesting place right now. Yeah. I think that more than as, or as much as anything, the fact that, that, that she doesn't even sort of automatically trust Dr. Franklin, whom mm-hmm. she's always had pretty good relationships with. Uh, that, yeah, she's she's going even behind his back to to get the supplies and stuff. But I, I appreciate that that she's still good old no nonsense, Lita. You mentioned her putting herself in between in between mm-hmm. Bester, and she's got you know some great lines about, oh, what if I you know slipped and hit a blood vessel, and do you want to yeah. take a chance? Uh, and then also her reaction to Byron's never ending parable about a coppersmith and a willow tree. I just, <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I was the only one that was uber squicked out by that but she just she was just no nonsense her reaction was just like just to cut him off and be like you know nice nice try changing the the changing the subject mm-hmm. and and then he still manages to go on about dreaming and and versus right. sleep versus whatever yeah. her reaction <laughs> saves that scene um mm-hmm. this is the this is the first time this season that I've gotten really annoyed by Byron as written and performed. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just too, too flowery, too overwritten. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, Robin Atkins Downs. I think com- he's trying, but oh, yeah, yeah, but, JMS, and, JMS did not give him a whole lot to work with. He, he gave him too much to work with. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. But I, I think Robin Atkin Downs does much better later in the episode when um, when he confronts the bloodhounds, and that's some that that's some pretty harsh stuff. Now you know, um, uh, watching this with twenty seventeen eyes, we've been seeing like years and years of stuff about police brutality and Mm -hmm. there was absolutely Mm -hmm. no reason for the bloodhounds to uh assault byron but they did Mm -hmm. it anyway and byron is sullen and dangerous uh there's something dangerous in his eyes um in the when he's in their insecurity uh just you know that that's some pretty that's some pretty solid stuff. But the early dialogue that he has, and then the, as JMS put it, sort of intentionally banal protest singing or uh, mm-hmm. flower child singing or whatever it is at the end of that epi- of this episode. You know, um, it does make 
the telepaths seem twee or just plain off-putting. <laughs> yeah, Stephen mm-hmm. said when they started seeing Stephen just leans over and goes, "So is this the Queen Re- Queenswake song?" <laughs> like, uh, followed very soon by, "I wish telepaths could sing silently." Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know they probably were, but it's just a uh, artistic license, so we know what they're doing. That could be. That very well could be. Or you know, there there might be something to it that gives you extra joy from from vocalizing. It's not aloud. a good song. It and, I, and, and, I, and I think I think JMS outsmarted himself a little bit there because he's trying to make it banal. He claimed that he was trying mm-hmm. to make it banal. Anyway, he succeeded. That's not fun <laughs> to watch. No, it's not. But it was. But I do think that it got the point across. Like these are these are people who are oppressed and put upon and just had a very narrow escape, and they are they are getting together and and coming together in fellowship in a way that seems pretty pretty in keeping with everything that we've seen for them although the fact that actually all of them were vocalizing when they've all been so silent up till now was a little bit surprising yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh they are literally a counterculture yeah Mm-hmm. yep and poor bester so disappointed that he does not get to take them away so sad <laughs> but his, his 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 clock so the clock is ticking he's he's mm-hmm. he's very much aware that 60 days and he's promised that he'll be back Mm -hmm. and hopefully before then Lockley or Sheridan but probably Lockley will have to will come up with something um but but before before that happens let's let's talk about um the other little plot that I found just delightful like Delenn is all over the place with great ideas this episode she doesn't only just have a new uh, job for Dr. Franklin she thinks that uh that Londo needs a bodyguard and yeah here's our last strange relation yep yep <laughs> and she she doesn't she doesn't ask jakar to be that bodyguard she lets him get there himself did you guys mm-hmm. love that scene as much as i did between yeah. jakar's dawning horror <laughs> and then delin's glee when was the last time we saw delin so gleeful and mischievous oh, i don't know it's been a while <laughs> Man, she is so pleased with herself and just like they're she's giggling. He's laughing out of a sense of, you know, somewhat joy, but disbelief. It was just that was great. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Yeah. Yeah. Not and not just Dylan, but, you know, Jakar to, to, to see, you know, the Jakar that we have seen several seasons along show up again. He's been so busy writing political treatises and. Uh, you know, helping make sure that this new alliance gets kicked off, that it, w- it was nice to see him um, actually enjoying an idea. As, as Ludacris says, it feels to him at, but, but, that, um, but just enjoying the possibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we've sort of missed what uh, caused that, which is that there was an assassination attempt on Londo. Yeah, uh, it was sort of like uh, <laughs> Chekhov's uh, ship misfiring yeah. or something. <laughs> Chekhov joke not uh, not intended, but <laughs> yeah. But because of that, because of that, at the very beginning of the episode, uh, they aren't able to come along and and bring Londo along with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a random accident where we get a call back to uh, the union organizer from all the way right. back in season one. Don uh, mm-hmm. Donnelly is mentioned. Connolly. Yeah. 
Um, mm -hmm. And that just happens to expose the assassination plot when the Centauri ship uh, blows up that would have had Londo on board. Uh, at the end of this episode, we don't know who was responsible for it. Uh, but who? how many Lond enemies does Londo have? All of them. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot. All we know is that it was probably either somebody from Centauri Prime or somebody who had access to their materials because it was definitely a Centauri bomb. And that's all we get. Yep. Like but that's enough days. to require that's enough to require a bodyguard and uh i feel like the scene at the end of the two of them sort of going along with it and just bickering about who gets the aisle seat was on the border <laughs> of over the top but i was still okay with it i oh that i adored it yeah okay that, good, that's good. londo and jakar in an elevator stuff you know we're, we're back to <laughs> without you know. the murder yeah exactly <laughs> Yeah, that just seems so very like them to, to fall back into that pattern. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, the idea that there are only like two seats, a window seat and an aisle seat. Like, couldn't they just sit in different rows? <laughs> I don't know. I, who, knew that Delta, who knew that Delta operates interstellar <laughs> shuttles now? <laughs> well, is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before I do a quick Steven check-in and we head to spoiler space? I think we breezed past it, but uh, yeah, uh, Delenn offers uh, Franklin a new job, which mm. is mm -hmm. sort of an expansion of what he's been doing. Um, uh, he's theoretically going to be leaving the station a little bit more and doing doing some wacky stuff. And I just, between Jakar taking on a new role, maybe temporary, who knows? He said, pretending that he hasn't watched <laughs> the whole season before. Um, and, you know, Franklin, it's feeling like a signal that not only is this season sort of beginning to ramp up, but also that this is the last season of the right. show. Um, mm -hmm. We've yeah, had they're uh, starting to move chess pieces. Yeah. Start, yeah. Um, and we had a signal much earlier in the season when they were talking about construction of the new Alliance capital on Minbar and that eventually Sheridan and Delenn are going to need to leave Babylon 5. It feels like, in a way, the beginning of the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, th to bring it back to Londo for a second, we did also have that scene uh, with Londo sort of musing about the fact that he's going to become the emperor and probably, mm -hmm. you know, outside of some state visits, we'll never see Babylon 5 again. And just right. realizing that he's going to miss it more than he thought. I, that, was a, that was a lovely piece of acting from Peter Jurisic. Mm. Yeah. Erica, I am curious uh, if there's more Stephen check-in to go. Um, I am reminded of so many seasons past so many years past of rewatching this show when Stephen has asked well what about the telepath where's the telepath i'm curious <laughs> what he thinks about lita uh in this episode and where she you know seems to be going you know he hasn't really said anything in particular about lita herself which he's i feel like he's taking her for granted now that she's I... appearing regularly <laughs> he's taking her for granted he's part of the problem <laughs> see <laughs> I agree with you, and I feel like I need to chide him for this because because that's just that is not fair. Uh, he's I think he's paid more attention to the telepaths themselves mm -hmm. that that she is you know being drawn into. Um, yeah, at that's the end, true. She's was, not the only one now. 
Yeah, he was saying, he was just, he said, fudging telepaths. He didn't say fudging. Uh, I don't like them. I don't want to seem racist, but I wouldn't want to hang out with them. They freak me out. So, and then he was like, with the singing, that was, that was the last straw. And what was that about (laughs) sleeping for lifetimes ago, four lifetimes ago? Never ask Byron a question. (laughs) So, so Stephen is, um, He's he's not a hundred percent on board with the uh, with the telepaths and is finding them s- strange and annoying. So I think I think maybe the fact that he hasn't commented on Lita is just simply that he he isn't isn't liking the direction she's going without saying that directly. But yeah, I do I do feel like that he has not given her her due because she has been front and center here uh, in a couple of episodes this season. And yeah, he should he should like it. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, as far as this episode overall, he, he definitely, as I said, he liked it better than the previous two episodes. Um, he had no problem with, uh, with Sheridan reveal, being revealed to have been married to Lockley previously. He also didn't have any problem with Sheridan keeping that secret because all he said was, uh, cause I asked him, I was like, what do you think about that? And he's like, like the lens never kept secrets from him. So <laughs> fair, fair point. <laughs> I think he he just felt like it was turnabout turnabout is fair play, and he, yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, he found it interesting that that Sheridan really is barely in this episode. It is very Tracy Scoggins heavy. She's the central motivator, and he was interested interested in that. Um, and when it comes to Dr. Franklin's new job, he spent uh, a good little while musing about, ooh, does Richard Biggs get to go on road trips and away missions? Um, or, or do we cut back to Centauri Prime and have adventures with Londo and Jakar before Jakar ends up strangling him in their old age? And then he just, and then he pauses and he goes, see, see, I remember. And he pointed to his head. So he's very proud that he remembered where Londo and Jakar are going to end up. And I, of course, stayed mum and I didn't say anything about any of his, uh, his suggestions for the future, but I'm excited for him to find out whether he is right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He also liked the the subtle prisoner reference, which uh, Bester often does, is when he said "Be seeing you, Lita." That's one of Stephen's favorite shows, so he liked that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, with that, I think it is time to assign homework, and your homework for the next episode is called "Secrets of the Soul." And Is that a Queen's Reich album title? Oh my god, it totally sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, until then, I hope you will listen to lots of Queen's Reich and also come and say hello to us on Twitter and Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide. You can join in the conversation at B5AudioGuide.com where we have both spoiler-friendly and spoiler-free threads. If you want to remain unspoiled, please depart now, but fear not, we will all come together in a better place. Oh, a better don't place you dare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm quitting. <laughs> 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 sorry, that song has been stuck in my head since we started recording, oh, and I I'm couldn't sorry. resist throwing that in there. But now that we're in spoiler space... <laughs> We could talk about how Stephen's right about those telepaths, and they are they are freaky and weird. We have and I wouldn't finally, want to hang out with them. We have finally reached the point where I'm like, yeah, okay, uh, mm. the telepaths thing is kind of an annoying thing. This is this is the this is the point where Byron starts losing me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I mean, he's he's I held obviously on pretty lost... good until this point. Mm-hmm. And and I think too, we we also get a you know from within 
the show uh, POV viewpoint on that because we have Zach talking about how he's worried about Byron because Byron's a martyr and he's seen that mm-hmm. type before. And I think until I heard Zach say those words, like it hadn't really crystallized in my head what the what the real danger is of a character like this. And mm-hmm. and yeah, he is he is annoying and he is so very very tied to his convictions that that everything that happens after this just makes perfect sense it does yeah it does. well this is plus this is the first time when we've got direct clear and present danger going on from the threat that they've always feared i mean we had um in a view from the gallery there was an alien threat but you know they were at, they were threatening everybody it wasn't just the telepaths here we have Psychor coming after them in particular. They have many of them have escaped from Psychor already, uh, and you know we find out Byron was uh, Bester's partner at one point. Was a psychop himself. I don't remember if it was this episode or a Not later this episode. episode. It's later. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and it comes out that, later. And that is that's actually kind of genius. Um, I do like that we get we Bester arrives. And almost gets what he wants, but doesn't. So mm-hmm. it's assumed that he's going to come back, and he will. Um, we get a hint of a relationship between Bester and Byron, but it's going to be explained in a few episodes that Byron is actually an ex-psychop, mm-hmm. and uh, just sort of, which, you if know, I remember correctly, throws Lita for a loop. Yeah, so that that's 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 it, that's it, that's him just sort of strongly you know mm-hmm. doing a doing a complete 180 and becoming a cult leader in, in in reaction to it but also garibaldi confronts bester or attempts to and that gets interrupted and then lockley does us the favor and does jms the favor uh, although i mm-hmm. think it's the other way mm-hmm. around of throwing garibaldi in the brig so that Garibaldi doesn't get to find out until later that he can't actually touch Bester. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think that that's actually well-timed as well. It sort of ratchets up the tension. Mm-hmm. And there are there are two things in this episode that sort of point forward toward toward the the Bester and um and Byron thing. And that's Bester's disappointment at not getting to take the telepaths and the way that he acts in that scene toward Byron, you know, like mm-hmm. it's very clear that he knows that they know each other well. You've got his right. hand on his shoulder, like tightly grabbing. Can I just take him? Can I just take this one? So right. we know we it's know personal. that that's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It that is very... was so creepy. That was so yeah. abusive. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. That... Yes. And, and then we also get the moment... And and I don't remember if this actually comes to anything, but it definitely to me uh, played rang strong, knowing that he is that he's a, an ex ex psychop. The moment where Lita is in the hallway trying to defend them, and she's able to use her telekine- telekinesis to to fend them off. Byron's interest in the way and the fact that she was able to do that it seems much more like it's not like. Oh wow! What just happened? It's more like, oh, how did you do that? I want to learn. I need to know. In sort of an almost creepy kind of a way. So uh, that to me screams of somebody who has been a psychop and who has really been in 
looking for power, not just for the sake of power, but maybe just for the sake of power. So I don't know if that jumped out at you guys or not, but I certainly that moment was kind of like, Ugh. That's possible. I, I have to look closer. Yeah, into... that didn't jump at me at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it did. Me neither. But uh, looking closer at future episodes, that could be interesting. Certainly, as a psychop, he would be intimately familiar with um, not only the prevalence of telekinetics and all and mm-hmm. other other things like that, but what Psychor how much value Psychor placed on that and trying to control that, you know, trying to mm-hmm. breed telekinetics, you know, that's that's stuff that comes that comes all the way back from season one in Talia Winters, um, in Bester's first mm-hmm. appearance. It's uh yeah, it's it's his world. He's still he's still in it, even though he I, I think Byron's trying to reject it for all it's worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as far as as the fact that I do feel like this is where things really start to to get moving, I thought I found it kind of laughable that Londo also sort of says kind of the same thing. Like this is where things start to go bad for everybody. <laughs> and he's not wrong. Nope. He is not wrong in the least. And but you know who is wrong? Delin <laughs> and Jakar and Londo. They're all so optimistic about how having mm. Jakar in the royal court on Centauri Prime is going to help teach the Interstellar Alliance mm. a lesson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It to quote a recent movie, this is not going to go the way you think. <laughs> <laughs> Reference acknowledged. Mm-hmm. So did you guys notice anything else that uh, that sort of lead is, is leading us toward the the last bits of the future here? Trying to think, nothing's um, nothing that we haven't mentioned already. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're just sort of sliding, sliding downhill mm-hmm. toward toward the end at yeah. this point, and it's yeah. just going to get faster and faster. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Uh, this episode has a lot of hints for us that all of this careful planning and mixed with a misplaced idealism that everything or optimism mm-hmm. that everything's just going to work out. This is where you begin to see that it's, uh, that it's going to fall apart. Um, the telepath mm-hmm. crisis, uh, Londo it's, you know, it's, it's going to, it's going to be bad. And that is actually the message of season five. Uh, you know, there is some, there is intentionality to this, that at the same time as, JMS is doing this great society, great man narrative kind of thing. Um, you know, it's always going to be two steps forward and one step steps back. And the the fall of Centauri Prime, the inability of the Interstellar Alliance to get things right, uh, the careless, if not poor, decision making by Sheridan and how to handle the telepaths, you know, it's these are complications that are set up because this grand interstellar alliance is full of flawed people and flawed governments and conflicting agendas. And it's just at Sheridan's old line, the duration's going to be a lot longer than the war, is, uh, is that that is what this season is all about. I think Sheridan actually has a line in this episode that that sort of sums that all up. And he at one point he says, I'm caught in a web of my own good intentions. 
and and I think that 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 sums it up because you know he's trying really hard. He wants to do the right thing. They all want to do the right thing, and that's not enough. It just doesn't get them there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think this episode is really good at sort of signposting that. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, we will be back in a couple weeks talking about secrets of the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you all so much for listening, and we will hopefully see you back, hear you back, talk to you back in a couple <laughs> of weeks for that. Until then, this is Erica and Edmonton, Shannon and Durham, and Chip and Durham. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. Be seeing you. I was waiting for that. (laughs) I'm impressed. I didn't realize I was going to do it until I did it.